Support for Charlotte Reader's Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org, or drop by the bookstore or any library branch. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those, like Heidi Brown here, who visit the Queen City, and we hear them read their work. I'm excited to be doing this live podcast here tonight at Huga with Heidi and with my lawyer friends in the Mecklenburg County Bar. Heidi, say hello to a bunch of lawyers. They're not here just to get CLE credit. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> All right, so the book that's the topic of the show today is called The Introverted Lawyer, A Seven-Step Journey Toward Authentically uh, Empowered Advocacy. And as you'll learn about in this show, introversion can be a superpower. Uh, you'll find out that lawyer introverts should not apologize for it, and lawyers who run law firms should pay more attention to this asset. Mm -hmm. Because running a law practice is not all about the gregarious rainmaker. But a quick comment for our listeners out there who are writers and readers of fiction and poetry and could care less about lawyers. The discussion tonight is not just about lawyers, it's about introverts, many of whom like to read and write. And what Heidi has to say might easily translate to the introverted writer who has to pitch their manuscript or market their book, or the writer or reader has to make a speech or do any of the many things that introverts might like to avoid. So the event here tonight is the brainchild of Kevin Pratt with CoLaw, and as you just heard, a, a lawyer co-working in law practice management business focused on better supporting independent lawyers and flexible space arrangements. And more about the wonderful sponsors for this uh, live show at the mid-roll break. This episode will run as a bonus episode in December after the completion of season four a 14-episode season that launched on September 3rd with our 50th episode in less than one year. Our guest was Scott Fowler, a local sports writer and author of many sports-related nonfiction books and a young adult book, and the host of the highly acclaimed Carruth podcast about the Carolina Panther who hired a hitman to kill his pregnant girlfriend. And as with all our seasons, we mixed the genres in season four to include a variety, in this case, poetry, memoir, women's psychological fiction, young adults, short stories, true crime, dramatic comedy, historical fiction, and legal and political thrillers. We also do things like this, where we talk about introverted lawyers. So here's the way this will work. I'm going to introduce the book in the first reading. Heidi's going to read a short section from the beginning of the book. I'm then going to offer a short bit of biographical information about uh, Heidi. And we're going to spend the rest of the time just having a conversation, uh, sprinkled along with other readings from her book. We're also going to have our writing life segment, which I do in every, uh, every show with the authors. And we'll be calling this section The Introverted Writer. Our show is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of locally produced and locally managed podcasts that you can carry anywhere uh, and, and hear what's going on in Charlotte. And Michael is here tonight to my left, your right, uh, with the QCPN running the mixing board and handling all the audio requirements. Heidi, are you ready? I am. Let's okay. do this. All right, I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer, introverted author, book and dog lover, and a guy who sought an answer to this question. Did you hear the one about the lawyer who walked into a podcast studio? In today's episode, we meet Heidi Brown, who writes for and about lawyers and anyone interested in understanding 
tapping into the superpower of introversion with her book, The Introverted Lawyer, A Seven-Step Journey Toward Authentically Empowered Advocacy. Her book champions the valuable gifts that introverted, shy, and socially anxious individuals can contribute to the legal profession, including active listening, deep thinking, empathy, careful legal writing, creative problem solving, and thoughtful communication. The second half of the book attacks the fake it till you make it or just do it or get over it mentality. Instead, the introverted lawyer counsels that we should do the opposite. Just be it. Let's be our quiet, impactful selves and transform the legal profession. And it's good advice for, for, advice for writers too, as well as anyone who finds that they draw their energy and recharge best when they retreat to their quiet places, whether it be a library, a bookstore, a quiet beach, or a remote mountain trout stream. We start first with Heidi reading a short section that explains the differences between introverts and extroverts. So, what precisely is an introvert? And who are the introverted law students and lawyers? In everyday parlance, we stereotype extroverts as gregarious and outgoing, and introverts as reserved and possibly even socially detached. These definitions are not accurate or complete. According to the Myers and Briggs Foundation, Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung originally used the words to describe the preferred focus of one's energy on either the outer or the inner world. Extroverts orient their energy to the outer world, while introverts orient their energy to the inner world. Extroverts ramp up and maintain energy by infiltrating and soaking up their surroundings, intermingling with people, engaging, talking, and interacting through coffee dates, parties, group exercise classes, teamwork, FaceTime, or Skype telephone chats. An extrovert is more likely than an introvert to perk up at the idea of scheduling a first date, attending a party where many guests are strangers, chatting with a fellow passenger on an airplane, cheering in a spinning class, talking to newcomers at the dog park, shaking hands with or hugging a neighbor at church during introductions, working in pairs or on teams in an interactive classroom exercise, or tossing around ideas in an office brainstorming session. Introverts certainly are capable of exerting energy in public, and they can be quite adept in the art of social engagement when they want or need to be. However, eventually, a long span of human interface saps an introvert's energy, like air escaping from a punctured inflatable raft. Introverts' social engagements typically have a shorter shelf life than their extroverted counterparts. An expiration alarm eventually sounds in the introvert's mind, signaling the time to retreat to a quiet haven for re-energization. Because introverts' energy drains more swiftly than extroverts, at some point, they slam into a wall of social exhaustion and must retreat, or their temperaments can shift rapidly. Sophia Dembling, author on introversion, sums it up perfectly. We're fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're okay, we're kind of okay, we're getting tired, we're getting really tired, boom, we're bitchy. Author Hottie Brown is a graduate of the University of Virginia School of Law, a law professor at Brooklyn Law School and a former litigator in the construction industry. Along the way, she struggled with extreme public speaking anxiety and the perceived pressure to force an extroverted persona throughout law school and nearly two decades of law practice. She finally embraced her introversion and quiet nature as a powerful asset 
in teaching and practicing law. Heidi is the author of Untangling Fear and Lawyering, A Four-Step Journey Toward Powerful Advocacy, ABA 2019, The Introverted Lawyer, A Seven-Step Journey Toward Authentically Empowered Advocacy, ABA 2017, and a two-volume legal writing book series entitled The Mindful Legal Writer. Heidi champions the importance of openly discussing stressors, anxieties, and fears in lawyering and helping quiet and anxious law students and lawyers become profoundly effective advocates and their authentic voices. Heidi, finally, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So Heidi, it seems a little bit surreal that we're sitting here. Um, you're an introvert, professed introvert. I've got some introvert tendencies too, and we're sitting here in front of a live audience, so what gives? This is a little bit crazy. <laughs> so tell us what you do to prepare for this. I mean, you, you're still an introvert, right? I definitely am, and but I'm telling myself right now I'm in a really cool space. I see some friendly faces. I'm talking about my favorite subject of all time. But I have to admit, my heart's beating really fast. I'm pretty nervous, but I did my usual routine that I developed for myself to be able to sit up in front of all you people and talk about this live. So all the lawyers here know being a podcast host where you bring guests on is kind of like preparing somebody for a deposition. <laughs> so Heidi and I sat down and we kind of went through things. But you also do some other things physically before you get going, right? Yes. And later on, I know we're going to talk about yeah. the seven-step process, but yeah. I'll just share just a little share, tidbit, a peek right tidbit of that yeah. now. If I can never wing anything, and my bosses used to be like, oh, just go in there and wing it, and I could never. So I'm very happy that you sort of gave me a, a plan for this. But even today, coming over here, I have all these rituals that I have to do, like any performer, to get myself in the zone. And one of them was walking around the space earlier before we were about to start and finding a secret place to do what uh, Professor Amy Cuddy calls a power pose. And so I was hiding over there doing my Wonder Woman power pose <laughs> to get my, my physical yeah, self ready yeah, so yeah. my mental self can actually perform. Okay, so let's talk about Heidi for a minute, uh, a little bit of conversation about your journey. Uh, when you were coming along, you talk about this in the early chapters of the book, you were the daughter of an introverted Episcopal minister, right? Yes, my father is definitely introverted. My mother is very extroverted. You attended an all-girls school, and as you were growing up, you had this desire to express yourself, to be heard, to offer opinions, but, but something happened early on, right? Yes, so while I was doing the research and writing this book, I had to do a lot of mental reflection to figure out when did I start to distrust my voice and where did that stem from? And I remembered, out of the blue, I remembered some experiences in, in elementary school. I had a fifth grade science teacher. I was a very good student at school. I loved school. I still love school, hence why I'm a law professor now. But I had this teacher, and I, I never wanted to speak in class. I always did the, the homework. I was, as I mentioned, a good student. But one day we were doing a science experiment outside, and we each had a magnifying glass and a piece of paper and the sunshine. And I remember very uncharacteristically announcing out loud to my best friend, oh my gosh, you know, if you catch the sunlight in the magnifying glass and direct it towards the piece of paper, it catches on fire. And I remember that science teacher kind of swooping in and announcing to my whole class, you ruined the experiment for everyone. And I have a very robust blushing response, so when I get nervous or anxious or embarrassed or ashamed, I turn beet red. And I remembered that feeling of my face being on fire and just being ashamed, and I started to distrust my voice in that classroom. And 
So I can, you, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and you also told a story early in the book about how you, you told your grandmother you're going to vote for Jimmy Carter. And uh, she said, do not disrespect your family. Yes, so uh. I loved my grandmother. We had a very close relationship, and she was very opinionated. And I wanted to be like her. Yeah. Um, but it was, this will yeah. explain how old I am, but it was the, uh, the election between Reagan and Carter. And I learned from my, my carpool that Reagan was going to start a nuclear war, apparently. And so I went home that night, and I told my whole family and my grandparents, I think you all should vote for Jimmy Carter. I think I was 10 at the time, and they were not very happy with me with saying that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's changed in the world today. So, Introverts versus extroverts. You, you hinted at this in your opening read. Why do introverts prefer and how do they engage with the world? That, that's sort of the topic of your opening read. So talk about you know, the life of an introvert. We're going to get to the lawyer part in just a second, but just in, introverts in generally, who are we? So in reflecting on those experiences from my, my past, I never knew as a kid or even as a, a college student or a law student what introversion meant or what introversion and extroversion meant. So in researching the book, I learned that introversion and extroversion are just the two different ways that individuals process energy, the way we process stimuli, questions, interaction with the world, and also the way we rekindle energy. So I learned that introverts and extroverts actually use two different pathways in our brains for processing information. Introverts use a longer pathway, so it can seem like it takes us longer to respond to a question. We're, we're thinking about it internally, but on the outside, it can make it seem like we're a little slow or, or not as smart or not as, as competent or not as engaged. But in reality, introverts use this really long cir circuit in our brains because we're vetting and testing ideas and theories mm. and solutions to problems really deeply and we want to test all that before we take it prime time. Thanks. We also need to rekindle energy in mm -hmm. solitude so we can be really highly performing but then need to go to a quiet space like where I was doing the power pose and, and rekindle energy before we can perform at a high level again. So any of you out there who are trying to think about objecting on grounds of relevance, you know, we're going to tie all this together in a little bit here. <laughs> we're just setting the foundation here. Um, and further to that foundation, as it relates to lawyers who are introverts, is there a danger for those in the legal profession who don't understand the value of an introvert to try to convert an introvert into an extrovert? As someone who spent about 15 years of my litigation career trying to fake or force extroversion, I can say that it really does take a toll to try to be inauthentic. The, the, it's an internal conflict that quiet folks who really do have a lot to bring to the table of any profession, but as, in my opinion, especially lawyering, if we try to force or fake extroversion because that's the stereotype we feel like we have to live up to or what our bosses or our clients think we should be like as lawyers, it causes an internal conflict. And I found once I finally let that go and, and learned how to, yes, we all need to speak about the law with, with fortitude, but to, to train myself to amplify my voice authentically instead of faking extroversion, it was like turning on a light switch for me for the first time in my life. All right, and you get very early in your book, chapter three, you, the heading is change agents for the profession. So you're not shying away from this idea that introverts can make a difference in the legal profession. You start out by saying this, introverts and otherwise quiet advocates are well poised to play an influential role in the legal profession through active listening, analytical thinking, empathy, impactful legal writing, and creative problem solving. Now, you then talk about counselors at law 
and introverts in that setting. So let's read that and then we'll talk some more. Lawyers perform multiple intellectual activities and serve varied tactical and substantive roles. Issue identifier, fact gatherer, researcher, analyst, writer, editor, advisor, strategist, negotiator, and advocate. We call ourselves counselors at law. Approach the bench counselor, judges direct. To counsel means to provide wisdom and advice regarding the judgment and conduct of another. In the legal context, to counsel is to apply intelligence, experience, and forethought to the client's legal challenges resulting in guidance, opinion, suggestion, creativity, ingenuity, and assurance as the client decides how to manage these business matters. Depending on a lawyer's subject matter area of practice, she might counsel owners of a mom-and-pop grocery store resisting a forced property sale, a spouse seeking a divorce from an abusive partner, or a person accused of a crime subject to jail time, all stressful scenarios that purely based on the human element might naturally invoke empathy in the lawyer. Or the attorney might represent a technology corporation on the verge of a lucrative merger, a hospital purchasing land for an expansion project, or, like my law practice, a construction contractor embroiled in a conflict with a project owner over lack of payment. Circumstances which, at first glance, seem to focus solely on money rather than emotion. However, across the spectrum of corporate, social justice, public interest, and individual representation, all mindful lawyers listen to their clients to identify goals, empathize with individuals to understand fears or concerns about adverse outcomes, and go deeper than the obvious surf surface legal issues to unearth personality conflicts or emotional triggers posing removable barriers to a successful negotiation or conflict resolution. So Heidi, are you suggesting that introverts are better listeners than extroverts? Well, I've been told <laughs> as I talk about these issues that I should not be creating a big divide between introverts and extroverts. We, we all need to work in teams and really value each other. There's something called other. an ambivert too, right? There is an ambivert. So, yeah. and, and, and introverts can be very highly functioning or they can be act like extroverts in certain scenarios, but then be very introverted in the need to regain uh, energy through solitude. So how are introverts suited to these tasks that you just listed here? So as I mentioned, the fact that we really deeply ponder legal issues, we, we go really deeply in our minds to try to vet and test and our theories and ideas, we can be very creative problem solvers. We can also sit in a room with a lot of competing voices, and I don't know if any of you have ever been in a room where everybody's talking, and a lot of times it's the introvert that's listening to what everybody is saying, also reading body language, and, and kind of synthesizing a lot of different points that all the people talking are saying, and then can come up with an idea at the end of that conversation that either brings it all together or comes up with a solution that people who are just talking and talking and talking sometimes miss. Again, this is not to say that introverts are better than extroverts or you know, superior to extroverts, but it's just that they bring assets to lawyering that are sometimes overlooked. And what I mean by that is the act of listening. They can sit with a client and really read emotions and body language and get the client to talk about things that they might not otherwise be forthcoming about. Creative problem solving, empathy, um, em really deep, thoughtful writing can be assets that introverts bring to the lawyering table as well. And another piece that um, we, we were talking about this before the podcast about how, believe it or not, in law schools today, if you teach uh, 
legal writing, they don't put you on a tenure track. They don't see that as important as some of the subject matter courses. Now, that's probably because they've just done it that way for so many years, they can't get out of their own way, right? A lot of law schools are moving towards are tenure moving? track for legal okay. writing faculty, but, 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 the, it, but it's But the point is, different. what's more important coming out of law school than knowing how to write well? If you're going to write a brief, if you're going to write a letter, I mean, so you've got a little section in here in your book about legal writing. I thought it'd be you know, nice to talk about that because after all, this is a literary podcast. Lawyers write all the time. So let's share that with the group, if you would. Lawyers write every day, whether through emails, internal legal research and strategy memoranda, communications with clients or opposing counsel, transactional agreement term sheets, proposed contract language, litigation-oriented pleadings, discovery requests, or briefs, lawyers transform every client matter through the written word. For litigators and transactional lawyers alike, legal writing is a potent weapon in the advocacy arsenal and an essential lawyering competency perfectly suited to the introvert temperament. Susan Cain notes that introverts often feel as if they express themselves better in writing than in conversation. Dr. Arnie Kozak agrees that many introverts favor writing over speaking. Dr. Jennifer Conweiler proffers writing as a formidable tool for introverts. Because introverts tend to prefer writing to talking, they often tap into writing as a powerful influencing strength. Authors Ann Tyler, Jessamine West, and Bernard Cornwell reiterate that writing is a solitary occupation. Likewise, author John Green once said, writing is something you do alone. It's a profession for introverts who want to tell you a story, but don't want to make eye contact while telling it. <laughs> Legal writing offers quiet law students and lawyers the perfect milieu to think, analyze, edit, rephrase, test thoughts, and be choosy with words. An introvert who loves the art and science of legal writing inescapably will play a pivotal role in every client representation. So Heidi, I know you know from your own experience, I think um, practicing law does require the ability to tell a good story. I mean, whether you're talking to a jury or explaining to your client uh, you know, what their rights and obligations are, you know, being able to communicate effectively is important. I don't know if maybe it's anecdotal, but I always thought that the rainmakers and the extroverts, they didn't have time to spend sitting alone writing. I mean, what's, what's been in your experience? I, as a legal writing professor, I will absolutely agree with you that, that we need to be able to tell stories. And what I teach my students is, I go back to Aristotle and the logos and, and pathos and ethos. You know, we have to be able to write about logic, but also emotion, and also use our credibility, our, our integrity as, as we deliver stories. And I, I definitely worked with a lot of extroverts who, who were good writers, but I found that for me, I thrived as a legal writer, and I, I wish I could go back and redo all those 15 years of stressful depositions and, and courtroom appearances, re really allowing my writing to help me shine in the more performance-oriented moment. So now we know some of the tasks that introverts are well-suited for, active listening, uh, writing skills, ability to process, read body language, all great skills if you're going to be negotiating or even talking to a jury or structuring a deal. What are some of the stresses uh, that are imposed on introverts in, say, law firm settings or in the law generally uh, that make it difficult for introverted lawyers? Absolutely. So the, I'll mention that some of the things that I struggled with that I didn't understand 
were a, a function of me being an introvert. I actually thought I just, I had a weakness. I thought there was something wrong with me. But now I realize that I just processed a lot of lawyering activities differently. And some of those were sort of the pressure to have that quick response, always be ready to argue. And for introverts, because we do take longer to process information, because we are doing it deeply, we want to get it right, it can seem, again, like we're not ready to go in a, in a debate. Um, starts in law school. I mean, the Socratic method in every law school classroom is similar to the courtroom. The, the expectation is to be quick on our feet. That can be challenging for us, and it doesn't mean that we're not smart or we didn't prepare. Um, I talk to law professors all the time who say, oh, it's, you just got to make sure the students are prepared, and the only way to do that is to call on them. And I say, no, like, I was prepared. I just needed more time to process information. So for lawyer, introverted lawyers, objecting at the right time in the courtroom or in a deposition can be challenging for us. So we have to notice that and, and not shy away from those activities, but arm ourselves with tools to be able to step into those moments and perform. Also, interruptions. So conference calls for me were very challenging, especially when I, I had eight or nine lawyers on the same conference call because introverts don't like to interrupt. So, so trying to be noticed on the call to yes. some extent? Or yes. get your point across? Get your point across, assert yourself, but introverts, because we do to kind of take a while to get to where we, where we want to assert ourselves, other people can just keep talking and move on to many different topics until we're ready to interject. So we have to sort of ramp ourselves up to just get in there and interrupt. But it, in, interrupting and being interrupted is not uh, something introverts love. Yeah. Uh, well, the second half of the book, you're going to solve all these problems, right? Yes, yeah, I am. Yeah. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Because <laughs> when we come back, we're going to focus on the steps that introverted lawyers can take to become more authentically powered advocates right after our mid-roll break, which for you lawyers that don't know anything about podcasting, that means halftime. Hey listeners, this podcast would not have been possible without a number of episode sponsors. I have a few quick words about each now, and we'll have more information about them in the show notes. CoLaw is a lawyer co-working and law practice management business that focuses on reducing the costs of practicing law for independent lawyers and small law firms with flexible private office subscriptions and with access to additional support to help grow your law practice. Lawyers Mutual is a leading malpractice insurance carrier for law firms in North Carolina with a team of claims professionals available and ready to assist and answer any questions lawyers may have about coverage or best practices. North Carolina Civil Collaborative Law Association is a nonprofit that serves as a resource for attorneys in the field of civil collaborative law, a standalone dispute resolution vehicle where clients are empowered to resolve their disputes in a commercial arena rather than a judicial forum. Charlotte Women's Bar is a local organization where women lawyers come together to take action on issues affecting women and women lawyers in North Carolina. Its mission, increase effective participation by women in the justice system and public office and within the legal profession, promote rights of women under the law, promote the welfare of women attorneys in North Carolina, and promote and improve the administration of justice. CaseWorks is a court reporting and deposition company leveraging technology to help make the litigation process more efficient for attorneys. It has 70-plus brick-and-mortar locations across the country equipped with state-of-the-art deposition suites and tools, including HD video conferencing and video synchronization. And last but not least, LawPods, founded by lawyer-turned-podcast entrepreneur Robert Ingalls, is a professionally branded podcast for busy attorneys. Leveraging his experience as a practicing attorney, Robert and his team help attorneys in a variety of practice areas plan, produce, and promote a podcast tailored to helping grow their law practice at a reasonable price. 
So you in the audience that want to do a podcast, talk to Robert. Charlotte Readers Podcast and host Landis Wade are grateful to you for listening to this show. If you like the show, please leave a short written review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, or the podcast platform of your choice, because your review helps authors share their stories with more listeners. Thank you for your support. All right, listeners, we're back here uh, live at uh, Huga with uh, uh, some lawyer friends from the Beckmore County Bar. I'm here with Heidi Brown. Heidi uh, has flown in from uh, New York, uh, where she teaches at uh, Brooklyn School of Law. And uh, Heidi, we're going to get into the second half now, which are the solutions to these problems you've presented, or these issues you've presented, right? Yes. Right. And uh, so talk about the structure of the book a minute. In the first part of the book, we sort of analyze introversion. We talk about the challenges that introverted lawyers face. And then as you were going through this, I assume in your own journey, you were thinking, so how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? What's the, what's the answer? Yes. So I like to use the word grappling with these issues because when I, when I was writing about struggling with them, that sounded too negative. So I, I feel like I grapple with them. The first part of the book, as you described, differentiates introversion from extroversion, but also distinguishes between introversion and shyness, which are totally different. Also highlights the assets that quiet folks bring to our profession. But then, as we just talked about, identifies some things that we grapple with in terms of rapid-fire, Socratic-type dialogue. And, and that's an important point because introversion is not shyness, right? Right. It's just a way you go about living your life and doing what you do best. Right. Introversion, as we talked about, is the way we process energy and the way we process stimuli, questions, information out there in the world, and the way we rekindle energy. But shyness is completely different. And until I started studying this, I didn't realize that I also, as a lawyer, as a law student and a lawyer and a law professor, grappled with uh, shyness and social anxiety. So it's an added layer on top of introversion. You can be a very confident so introversion. you got both of them, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. I do. But it's important right. to distinguish them. Right. Shyness right. can come from fear of judgment and criticism, right. and it can stem from childhood shame and issues that we haven't really processed. Okay, well, let's get to the seven steps. Uh, you have on uh, page 58 sort of a summary, and then you break it down in different chapters afterwards. But you're going to read now... Uh, the, the seven steps, and then we're going to talk about a couple of those as part of this process. Great. So yeah, the seven steps are to help us amplify our voices authentically. So step one, mental reflection. Begin listening carefully to, and then transcribe verbatim, the negative messages that automatically launch and replay in your head in anticipation of or during a law-related interpersonal interaction. Get the messages on paper, all of them, word for word. Then try to identify their original sources. Start to realize and acknowledge that the sources and messages are no longer relevant in the legal context today. Step two, physical reflection. Start noticing each physical reaction triggered by the anticipation of or participation in an interactive law-related event. Describe the physical manifestations as specifically as possible on paper. Blushing, sweating, shortness of breath, trembling, stomach ache, migraine? How and when does each physical response begin, crescendo, and eventually subside? Note your default physical protective stance. Hunched shoulders, crossed legs or arms, averted gaze. Are you making yourself small or closing inward, trying to go unnoticed or unseen? Step three, mental action. Begin ejecting unhelpful messages from the past 
and crafting useful taglines and prompts for the future. Delete the old, censorious messages and write motivating new ones. Step four, physical action. Adopt new physical stances, postures, and movement techniques to better manage and channel excess energy ignited by a law-related interpersonal exchange. An open, well-aligned physical comportment will help increase blood and oxygen flow, enhance thought clarity, and power voice strength. Step five, action agenda. Construct a reasonable and practical exposure agenda, brainstorming a series of realistic, law-based interpersonal interactions and ranking them from least stressful to most anxiety producing. Through this thoughtfully structured chronology and with careful planning and mindful intent, we will experiment with modified mental and physical approaches to each agenda event with the goal of capitalizing on quiet strengths and amplifying our authentic voices. Step six, pregame and game day action. Develop personalized mental and physical pregame and game day routines for each law-related exposure agenda item. Then, step into each exposure event, consciously integrating the new mental messages and physical adjustments adopted in earlier steps. Step seven, post-action reflection and paying it forward. Reflect on and acknowledge successes and challenges within each exposure event. Tweak the pregame and game day routines for each subsequent exposure agenda item. Continue visualizing your ideal, authentic lawyer persona. What does that quiet lawyer look like? How does he or she act, speak, think, write, analyze, communicate, participate, help, listen, or create? Note your impactful moments as a quiet yet magnanimous, altruistic, and empathetic advocate. Share your story and empower others. By working this process, perhaps even more than once, inevitably you will start to feel calmer throughout the arc of each interactive event. You will note the inevitable rise of mental and physical anxiety symptoms, recognizing that initial reticence might always appear instinctively, and the increasingly faster dissipation of those pesky stress feelings and biological reactions. As you grow into your authentic lawyer voice, your impact in the law will solidify and strengthen. Together, we will create a happier, healthier profession. All right, so in the rest of the book, you take these steps, and the rest of the book you cover and you break them down, you flesh them out. Uh, we don't have time to do all that, but I just want to take a couple that I found interesting. Um, one was the physical action section. It was step four. Uh, we got in a little bit of this at the beginning, but you spend a whole chapter talking about physicality, right? And you use examples of athletes. Talk about that a second. Yes, because the mental steps can be a little heavy. So the physical steps are and, a little that's, more that's, fun. That was too heavy for me. That's why I went to the physical. So the physical is easier. <laughs> so I, I shared with you the, my embarrassing fact that I blush all the time. And, and what I realized in those depositions I was taking as a construction litigator, I constantly was wearing turtlenecks and scarves to try and hide the fact that I blushed and turned red. People would try to intimidate me, and it would show all over my face. And I also realized that physically, when I'm stressed or nervous or anxious, I, my body instinctively or automatically tries to get small. So I hunch my shoulders, I cross my legs, I cross my arms. And until I started studying this, I didn't realize that my body and my brain's um, natural instinct to protect me from a perceived threat was doing exactly the opposite of what I needed to be able to perform. So in this kind of physical step, the physical steps, we reflect on what our bodies are doing that isn't helpful, and then we change that up. 
And I like to kind of use the athlete model. I never considered myself an athlete in college or, or afterwards, but now I really do. I like the expression scholar-athlete. And if we treat ourselves like an athlete, what do they do? Well, they, they really think about how they're holding their bodies. And so I've, I've learned that if I'm nervous, or my, like earlier, my heart was beating really fast. And I had done my power po pose outside, but it was still happening right here. So what I needed to do was uncross my legs, throw my shoulders back. I don't know if any of you noticed I was doing that, but I have to do that to get my, my blood and energy and oxygen to flow productively yeah. so my brain works. Yeah. Yeah. But until I learned how to do this, I was constantly just trying to you know, get small and sneak out the back door. Well, this is really kind of good advice for introverts and extroverts because lawyers sit at their desk and they forget what time it is and you're there two hours and suddenly you realize you've been sitting there for two hours and you're freezing up and you're, you, you gotta get up and get out of your chair, set your alarm or do something. But what you're essentially saying is, we need to stretch before we go negotiate, or we need to run a few laps before we go to court, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And just or do something that physically helps us relax a little bit, right? Absolutely. I, I started yeah. taking boxing lessons, to be okay. honest with you, you which take was boxing lessons the then. most intimidating thing ever. <laughs> but now I realize if I didn't die in a 60-minute boxing training session, there's no way I'm going to pass out in a deposition. So given some of the depositions I've taken with some of the lawyers in Charlotte, I would like to know how to do kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good skill to have as a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, another one we'll tackle real quick uh, as part of physical action is breath. My, my father used to always say, well, just, you know, if you're in front of a crowd and you're nervous, just take a couple of deep breaths, you know. That'll help you. That'll settle you. And actually, before I would go into making an argument, I would take a couple of deep breaths. Is that what you're talking about or something similar yes, to that? Yes, I have to pair the breathing with the mental side of it. Are you going to have me... us doing yoga before we're done here today? <laughs> yeah. yoga, yoga and boxing. Yoga, okay, yoga and boxing. All right, so what about breath? How does that help? It definitely helps you just take a moment and obviously getting more oxygen to your brain is a good thing. But for me, it also combines a reminder that if I take a deep breath, I, I feel better in that moment. But it reminds me, okay, throw your shoulders back, sit in a balanced athlete stance, seated or standing, put your feet on the ground. So the breath is actually a reminder for me to do a bunch of other things, but the breathing helps immensely. It, it slows my heart rate down as well. All right, now, one other one we're gonna talk about is uh, step six, which uh, again, I guess, having played sports in college, I'm kind of gravitating to these physical activities, but it's pregame and game day action. So I'm thinking about what do you do pregame, what do you do game day? You're sort of advocating what I think a lot of lawyers do intuitively anyway, who are good lawyers, and that is prepare before you go into battle, right? And you're saying that that helps introverts in some way. It does, but everyone always used to say, just prepare and you'll be fine, and I was prepared. So right. it wasn't just the substantive preparation. I always had my outlines and deposition questions and all that, I was, I was good on the substantive preparation. What I'm talking about here, though, is having a pregame and game day mental preparation plan and physical plan. And that's what I had to do even coming here today. I remind myself, okay, you know, get, get your mental self in the zone. Remind yourself, you know what you're talking about. You've studied this. This is your favorite subject to talk about. You know, kind of get yourself into a frame of mind that you can do this and kind of shelve the self-doubt from all those past messages I mentioned earlier. And then physically, you can't just bear, for me, I can't just barrel into an event like this and expect everything to be fine just because I prepared. I have to be physically prepared. I have to know how to hold, hold my body, how to breathe, how to do the power pose. And so layering all that preparation, substantive, mental, and physical, and emotional too, um, it, it really helps 
it helped me as a lawyer and now as a law professor and, and being able to talk about my own books in a way that I never could have done even three years ago, honestly. Right, and we talked beforehand, we could each share an example of how we did this, right? So you wanna go first? Yeah. Well, I wish I had done this when I was back okay, taking right. depositions, but um, what I would do now, so I had many, in the construction legal industry, our depositions were very intense. And as I shared, I used to get very rattled by my opposing counsel. And, and what I would do now, I wouldn't change my substantive preparation at all. I, I was prepared. Although on the objection side, I think I would have a, a list of my objections, whereas before I thought I just had to come up with it in the moment. But now I would also have the mental plan, remind myself I know what I'm doing. I'm the one that read every document in this case. You know, I'm, I'm the one that's gonna write the briefs. I'm prepared. And just sticking to my plan and not feeling like I have to mirror the behavior of a, of a gregarious extrovert or someone who's maybe not the most civil person in the world on the other side of the table. And then the physical too. Um, I can't control the fact that I blush when I get nervous. And before I did try to, to control it and it just made it worse. So now I realize, I read this great book by this author named Erica Hilliard and she talks about uh, how a blush is life coursing through you. So now I laugh, I think, oh yay me, I'm alive. Um, but it really helps me I'm just alive, Judge. I'm not embrace blushing. Judge. it and realize, hey, mm -hmm. I can't stop it. It's not that I can prevent this from happening, but now I just own it and move on and it's, it's, it goes away within three or four minutes. Whereas before, in those depositions before, my face would be on fire for seven hours. It was terrible. <laughs> so I wish I'd known some of this as I was coming along as a young lawyer because I always thought, you know, you had to be more extroverted or it was more of a sign of weakness, you know. And I think in myself, having become a writer too, even though I've been a trial lawyer, I have been somewhat introverted. Um, I do a lot of writing, a lot of thinking, but uh, the example that I'll give is, you know, whenever you go to court, you prepare, you get your outline, you get all your cases, you're ready to go. There is that uncertainty when you walk in is what what kind of mood is the judge going to be in today right what, what are we going to be facing am I going to get a question right before I can introduce myself and so I had this experience uh you know about 15 years ago um not I've been practicing well I guess yeah I've been practicing 15 20 years going to the North Carolina Supreme Court to argue we'd won in the Court of Appeals we're going there prepared I was really nervous uh you know, we were fully prepared. We'd won in the Court of Appeals. We had the briefs. I had the notebooks. I, I went, and I had preparation, right? We had practice arguments and everything. And I get up there, and I've been nervous about this. I took my kids, civic lessons, you know. They were there watching. And after we get through, and I said to them, I said, well, how did you all like that? And they said, well, Dad, why did the judge at the far end sleep through your entire argument? <laughs> and as it turned out, he did, but he also voted my way, which goes to show... <laughs> It goes to show what it goes to show, right? Yes. So, all right, so let's talk about some other potential issues, one of which is unpredictability for an introvert. Is that the preparation piece? Is it all the things you've been talking about? You ground yourself in confidence. You tell yourself that you are powerful, you are confident. Yes, and it's, it's not just, although I'm not downplaying positive self-talk, this is definitely right. positive self-talk, but it's, it's grounded in reality. And, and what I had done before was doubt myself, but now I, I honor the fact that I have done the substantive work. Is that because you were the quieter one in the room? You were doubting yourself? Yes. Okay. Yes. And So and just because they're speaking louder doesn't mean they're any better than you are. Right. 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 And okay. I had to learn, and, and what I try to tell other people is trust your process. And you don't, you can be assertive without being loud. And you can be assertive without talking nonstop. And in fact, some of the most impactful lawyers I've ever seen have been the ones that are quiet and patiently wait for their moment. 
We've got some mediators in the room today. Might be good things to talk about in the next mediation session. Uh, all right, law firm perceptions. I think this gets to the heart of why I was interested in bringing you on and talking about this. And that is, you know, I think there's kind of a perception out there among the managers of law firms that the one that brings in the dough, the one that talks the most, the one that glad hands the most, those are the most valuable assets in your law firm. Okay. Talk about that. So I'm encouraged that I'm seeing a little bit of a change in, in that mindset. I've, I've noticed that some law firms are starting to change the way they interview because I, I think in the past we do have this stereotype that the, the more gregarious, outgoing, extroverted individual is going to bring in the clients and, and be the show person in, in court. But I, I've been encouraging law firms and I've been happy to see this, that many are doing this to take note of quiet individuals coming into your office because they really do have a lot to offer. Some law firms are changing the way they interview and, and allowing the candidate to actually write something in, in the office when they come in for the interview, do a writing exercise because then they can sit and ponder and think about the legal analysis and really show showcase their talents through writing instead yeah, you, of just talking about it. Because if you think of a law firm like a car and you get you know two extroverts on the front two tires and you get none in the back, the car's not going to go very far, right? Right. Right. So you got to have somebody that's doing the writing, the legal analysis, and somebody else who's. Is, and so what you're saying is that these introverts, well, you, but then we got business development, right? And so is it a stereotype or is it true? or not, that introverts are less likely to generate business than extroverts. That's, that's in my opinion, that's definitely not true. And, okay. and the worst advice I ever got coming up through the ranks was, oh, you sh you, why did you go into litigation? You should have gone into a, a quieter practice of law. But <laughs> in reality, you always have to be able to speak about the law. So it, to me, we shouldn't be telling introverts, oh, you should choose a different area of practice or you should get out of the practice altogether. Instead, we should be realizing the tremendous assets they bring to the table. And one of them actually is networking. And you, and you wrote an article, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, called navigating introvert hell, right? <laughs> yes. And it's about marketing. Can you speak to that? It is. Yeah. So I, in, I worked for three different law firms and rainmaking and bringing in business was a huge part of, of development as, a, as an attorney, as it is for many lawyers. And I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be successful. But again, I always thought I had to act differently than who I am. So what I've learned now is that introverts can be powerful networkers. So I wrote a short article for the ABA Journal called Navigating Introvert Hell that explains how introverts can be powerful networkers by, by doing it their way. And so I have four or five different tips in that article about you know, strategizing about a networking situation and, and doing research in advance, maybe signing up for a role in that, in, in that event, like, like giving out name tags or handing out handouts so you're making connections without having to infiltrate a small group of people and just go up and shake someone's hand. That, that is terrifying for me. I will never do that. Um, but if I have a role, it gives me an excuse to go talk to people. Introverts are good writers, so following up later. So the article kind of mm -hmm. shares those tips. All right, good to know. So before we get into the writing life segment, which we'll do in just a second here, uh, there is an appendix in the back of the book. And uh, There'll be information in the links to, in the show notes about where you can find the book and these articles. But you have an appendix here, and it deals with this uh, idea of law offices, bar associations, supervising attorneys, and mentors uh, really sort of fostering uh, 
um, an environment where these introverts like us can succeed, right? Absolutely, and, and not just assigning them the, the quiet tasks, but, but I really realizing the assets that they bring on all facets of lawyering, but then for the more challenging circumstances that we've talked about earlier, providing tools and resources to help introverts amplify their voices authentically and just instead of just the advice we, I always got, which is fake it till you make it. I tried faking it, it does not work. So instead, really providing the right resources. And then as I also mentioned, really kind of approaching recruiting and retention of lawyers differently and, and really focusing on how can we help the quieter folks in our profession thrive instead of just telling them, be loud. All right, so this is, after all, literary podcast. You actually did write more than one book, so you are an author too. So we're going to talk about that in just a second. And there's a good little section in, the, in this next book that you've written called Untangling Fear and Lawyering that sort of gets to this idea of writing. And I've got some more questions too. But before we do that, tell us what Untangling Fear and Lawyering, a four-step, well, this is only four steps. Yes. Did you run out of steps or what? <laughs> I Seven streamlined steps, four it. steps. It's a longer book. Though. Okay. So Untangling Fear and Lawyering, tell us what this is about. So I was going around talking about the introversion book, and I kept having people come up to me and say, look, I'm not an introvert, but I'm scared. I'm scared to talk to the senior partner. I'm scared to network. I'm scared to go to court. So I decided to investigate that and research it, because as I've shared with you, I was terrified, really, for 15 years of my lawyering career, and frankly, stepping into the law classroom as a professor. So I studied really the science of fear to understand, as we've talked about, what happens to our brains and our bodies when we encounter that fight, flight, or freeze mode, which happens to a lot of us in, in lawyering. So the book kind of talks about really the reality of fears that law students, lawyers, and clients face. Mm -hmm. And then the science of it, what, tech, what physically happens um, to, as I mentioned, our brains and bodies. Then I took a look at what other professions are doing. So what, what are doctors, what are med students doing about fear? Because there's a lot of fear in medicine, journalism, engineering. People are afraid to make mistakes, um, entrepreneurship. So I studied just very on the surface what all those other professions are doing. And then I looked into sports psychology because athletes, obviously, if they make mistakes or get hurt, they experience a lot of fear. So how do they get back up there? And then this, the rest of the book, like the introversion book, gives practical tips for how we can untangle fear. I like the word untangle instead of face your fears. You know, we always hear these messages, just, just do it, just face your fears, like that's so easy. Or just do something every day that scares you, like we have to get up every day and be terrified. Um, so I, I decided I'm rejecting all those cliche messages and instead we're gonna sit and untangle fear and understand it and get to know it and then I took the, several of the steps from the introversion book, but, but really focused in on the fear mm -hmm. aspect of it, and then came up with some techniques that really help um, us process fear. Well, in some ways, a little bit of healthy fear is a good thing for any professional, right? It is, but even that message, you don't like that I, message I heard that one a lot too. So fear is good for you. It's great. So I thought there was something wrong with me that okay. why right. am I not being able to function? But to, to your point is, is untangling, we extract the good aspects of, of motivation from the destructive aspects of, of detrimental fear. So there is, this, the adrenaline kick can be good, okay. but not if you don't know how to process it. All right, a little quick about writing life. Let's read yes. that first paragraph from the book, and then we'll talk about writing for a second. Today I sit down to start writing this book. 
day one, page one. It's my sixth book. By society's standards, I'm officially a writer, an author. All the stars are aligned. I have a book contract. I mapped out a writing schedule, two hours every morning for the next 60 days to complete the manuscript's first draft. I have a chapter-by-chapter -chapter outline and 100 already typed up pages of research material. I slept pretty decently for a change. My usual 3 a.m. insomnia granted me a night off. This morning, I awoke, retrieved my iPhone from the living room, slid back under my weighty anthropology blanket, tapped open my Insight Timer meditation app, slipped my headphones into my ears, closed my eyes, and listened as a female voice greeted me with a chirpy, hi, beauty, before she guided a 12-minute meditation on clarity, motivation, and confidence. Afterward, while a pot of Trader Joe's coffee percolated in the kitchen, I wrote three longhand stream-of-consciousness pages, a creativity ritual inspired by Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, in my journal, a new one I bought a few months ago at a museum next to the Duomo in Milan. It has a brown cover with the Italian word marone stamped in lime green ink, brown, like my last name. My apartment is quiet except for the occasional Brooklyn honking horn. I've allocated the next two hours to begin to write this book that I've been thinking about for a year and living for, oh, approximately 27 years since the day I stepped onto the grounds of the University of Virginia School of Law as a 1L law student. So Heidi, I found that listeners are interested in the routines of writers. You know, everybody has a different routine, different way to go about it. What you've read gives a little bit of insight into what you did. Uh, has your routine changed over time? Uh, what is your routine? Can you just give us a brief insight to that? I love the routine of being a writer, and I, I like structure. And I used to think real writers wrote all day long, but what I realized is I can't write for more than two hours at a time. And that, that's how I was when I was writing briefs, and now when I'm writing really deeply personal stuff that takes a lot out of me physically and emotionally, two hours. So I, I like structure. And daytime or night? What do you Daytime, first daytime, thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. That, before that, you do anything else? Before I do, well, I make coffee first. Okay, you make coffee first, okay. <laughs> uh, so routine is important. Uh, you do follow the routine. Uh, how many drafts of these books before they became a book? Probably 10 full drafts. Right. Did you enjoy the editing process more or the first draft process? The first draft process. You didn't like people telling you you needed to fix it? I don't mind them <laughs> telling me I need to fix it. I just get very stressed when there's a lot of um, typos and stuff in the yeah, next yeah. round. <laughs> so let's talk about the introverted writer for a second because writing is becoming a business. It requires writers to find agents, to submit manuscripts, to get rejections, to talk publicly, to get on social media of all things. How do your tips uh, help an introverted writer? I think being a writer is a wonderful experience for an introvert. And because we do, as that quote I read earlier, it is a very, um, it's a thing that we do in solitude. But what's really helped me be able to get up here and talk to people about this is being excited about my books. And I was never a social media person really before my introversion book came out, but I got on Instagram and I got on LinkedIn. Even as a lawyer, I never used LinkedIn. But when my book came out, I started just being on those social media platforms, and especially on Instagram, I just started taking my book with me everywhere and taking pictures of it in random places and just posting that. And I got so many people reaching out to me. In fact, I think that's how you and I met. So 
it's amazing. Yeah, I have like two followers on Instagram, so yeah, <laughs> you're my third. So. <laughs> but it's a great way for quiet, introverted writers yeah, to yeah. connect with each other and help support each other's community and, and in the community to promote each other's work. And I've just found I've made so many friends and contacts and new colleagues over reaching out through social media and also writing shorter articles that that feed from the books is another way to really get your word out there in smaller sound bites. Well, this is a good advice for writers, um, I think, because if you cannot be obsessed with something, you shouldn't write about it to begin with. And if you spend all that time going through 10 drafts, you should be obsessed about getting out there and talking about it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely think we shouldn't write what someone else thinks we should write. We have to write what we're excited about. Right. And, and, you know, what would you say to lawyers? Uh, there's probably some lawyers in this room today who've got an idea for a book. Um, and they're thinking about writing that first book, but then they're also thinking about all the other things they've got to do, right? What's your advice to these lawyers who want to get something on the page but are looking at that daunting challenge ahead? break it down into pieces and the first thing I would recommend is go to Staples and buy these giant post-its and find a spot in your house or your apartment or your condo or wherever you live and just jot down ideas one at a time on these post-its. I do this on my, I have a wall of windows in my apartment in Brooklyn and once I had 12 ideas all related to the same concept, I knew I had 12 chapters of a book. And then I would just add little post-its underneath those. And I would sit there, and the, this is before I started writing anything. I'd sit there, sip my coffee in the morning, just stare at, at my post-its. But I knew there was something there. Mm -hmm. And then after it started developing, again, structure, you don't have to write all day every day. Give yourself you know, little time slots. I mean, for me, two hours is perfect. I know if I write a page or I write 10 pages, I've done my two hours, mm -hmm. and eventually the pages pile up. So another way to look at this, for any of you out there that are thinking about writing this book, Martin Clark, who was on the podcast in season four, uh, who's written these legal thrillers, he was a judge during all the time he was writing, and he says, you know, if you write one page a day, at the end of the year, you got enough pages mm -hmm. for a novel, okay? So that's all it takes, one page a day. All right, couple, uh, one last question before we have parting thoughts here. Um, how has writing these books changed your life? It's changed my life entirely. I, I used to perceive all those things that I talked about as weaknesses. I also have had a lot of life experiences. I've changed jobs a lot. I've had disappointments and, and have a, a lot of you know, unresolved shame and guilt and writing about all this, even though I'm, I'm very exposed in my books, it's really changed the way I, I look at myself and the way I'm able to help my students now who come to me and confide that they're worried about whether they're cut out for our profession. But now writing about it has really helped me realize, no, I, I was cut out to be a lawyer. I just didn't know what assets I brought to the equation at the time. So writing about it has brought that to the surface and enabled me to help other junior lawyers who really want to do this and contribute but just don't know how. So this is part memoir, part how-to book, right? Absolutely. There's okay. a lot of memoir in there. <laughs> All right. So uh, parting thoughts as to how introverts can reinvent and cultivate their authentic lawyer persona with this last read that you've got. There will be many people in the legal profession who will not understand our quietude and who will think, based on stereotypes, that there is no role for people like us in the law. Let's prove them wrong. 
Work your exposure agenda, then work another one. Make nips, tucks, and adjustments in your plan. Use your quiet lawyering skills at every opportunity. Continue to envision yourself as an effective advocate because of your quietude, because of your ability to listen, think, problem solve, and test the strengths and weaknesses of ideas before sharing your thoughts through the power of legal writing or your mindful spoken voice. Be authentic in law school, in lecture classes, small seminar courses, group work, study sessions, and oral arguments. Be yourself in law offices, interacting with senior and junior attorneys, with tough and gentle clients, with difficult and cooperative opposing counsel, with challenging and even-keeled judges, and before juries. As you imagine your life and career as a quiet author, remember author Tanner's advice. To learn to speak does not necessitate learning to be talkative. Be quiet when you want or need to be. Close your office door to work, and then open it again when you are ready to share. Be a thinker, be a writer. When you're overstimulated and crave downtime, replenish. Your hard work and integrity will shine bright. Most importantly, your legal career will be more personally enjoyable in the long run. The greater number of quiet lawyers whom we encourage to set an example of living authentic lives, the healthier our legal profession will become. Be you. Change the profession, impact our legal system, nation, and the world. So Heidi, that's great advice. Uh, I don't think you've blushed today, so we accomplished that, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I uh, appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this message with us. Um, Audience, the uh, the links to Heidi's book are going to be in the show notes uh, uh, at charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find out more about her there. I'll also have information about her Twitter account and her Instagram account if you do those kind of things. So let's give Heidi a hand, if you would, please. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written words. You can find out more about us at charlottereaderspodcast.com and you can listen for free on Apple Podcasts wherever you like to get your podcasts. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Thank you. All right, we're done. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
at Charlotte Reader, on Instagram and on LinkedIn at Landis Wade.